welcome to Sally Talks. This is a uh, podcast that takes place in the uh, front seat of a uh, road trek known as Sally. And the premise being people will just come, sit down, relax, and uh, have a conversation with Ken and uh, talk about their lives, who they are, what they believe in, what they think, what they're afraid of, whether or not there is a God, and uh, questions like that. It hasn't really taken shape, but uh, it will just happen as it does. So uh, sit back, relax, stay tuned, and uh, meet some interesting people, people that I've met uh, along life's journey. Thanks very much. Chick, chick, chick. All right, uh, we're on. This is Sally Talks. Sally Talks? I think that's the title I've settled on. They get changed, but uh, the idea is that uh, I would bring people into the Road Trek, which has been nicknamed Sally, and uh, have what hopefully is a deep and meaningful conversation. And so uh, this is probably number four, maybe number five in the series, and I have a very special guest uh, with me uh, today. I'm going to introduce him. Some people would know this man as the virtual youper. Um, I know him as that, and just as well as Michael. Uh, Michael, welcome to uh, welcome to Sally Talks. Thank you, thank you. I hope I don't disappoint. Oh, you will never disappoint. And I know I'm making this sound a little bit formal, but I will soon relax and uh, get this into a, a mode that's less sounds like I, we're trying too hard, or I'm trying too hard, and more of a natural flow of conversation. I'll, get, I'll just give a little bit of background. I, I think the idea when I first started out, I had almost... Maybe even had a list of questions of things I wanted to touch on. It was about your philosophy of life, and did you believe in God and an afterlife? And I kind of abandoned those questions and uh, let it go wherever it went. So it, it wanders. There is no one set uh, pattern. But uh, maybe, maybe what I'd like to do is maybe just let you introduce yourself, however you want to describe who you are, if that's all right. Mm, that, that's fine. So, um, yes, my name is Michael. I grew up in a small Midwestern town in northern Illinois, just south of the Wisconsin border. Uh, for those that have been at the MMPR weekend this weekend, I refer to both the north and south border of Wisconsin as the Cheddar Curtain. Mm. So it's actually a, a border you cross twice. Um, into very different worlds, from Illinois into Wisconsin, and Wisconsin into the UP. But so I grew up in in northern Illinois, a uh, little town called Woodstock. Uh, if you've seen the movie Groundhog Day, that's where it was filmed, mm-hmm. and the town still looks very much like it did in the film. It's about five thousand people when I was growing up, and uh, there's a reason for that background, and that is it's it's a it's a small town, not as small as it was now it's probably thirty to fifty thousand people. It was like five thousand when I was growing up. Mm. Dairy farming community, lots of farms around. Um but it was almost the end of the line for the Chicago Northwestern train. There's one it had one more stop past that, but we moved there because my dad worked in the loop in Chicago. 
So he wanted to live as far in the country as he could and still be able to get into the city to work. Okay. So he had a long commute. He spent probably three hours a day on the train going to and from the city. But it was worth it to him to, to live out in the country. And uh, when I was very young, one of the first things I bought when I was able to save up money from chores and paper routes and everything else was a miniature reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. And uh, so then began actually what would become my podcasting career, except back then it was a uh, career, hobby, uh, pastime, enjoyment. Started doing reel-to-reel -re -reel tapes, small ones, and exchanging them with friends and doing everything from just chatting stories to putting radio programs together to uh, whatever. So was it was it a portable system you could yeah. actually take over to a friend's house? Yeah, it was a little battery operated. It was at Iowa, actually. Okay. I think it was. Um, bought it at the local Ace Hardware. They okay. had They had them in stock. And uh, I just, just wore the oxide off of many reels of tape. And they were, they were the, the small reels like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still have a few around the house. I really should try to recover them and see what's on them. And it was just the idea just to share stories or yeah. do something entertaining, maybe? Things to exchange with friends. Sometimes we all got together to do recordings. Sometimes we did recordings and exchanged tapes. That's that's like the real early yes. days of podcasts. Yes, Very exactly. interesting. Wow. And uh, then that kind of led into high school where I started, uh, you know, they had speech competitions, and I wound up going into uh, radio speaking and newscast competitions. That led me into um, actually DJing and getting involved with some radio stations as I was going through college. And then a long void of nothing um, until this thing called podcasting came along. Now, I was a little late to the game compared to some of you. Um, I didn't first get interested in doing anything myself probably until September 2005. Mm -hmm. And even then, I was just kind of fact finding and following along. Well, that's the early. That's those are the beginning days. Yeah, so. yes. I, I know Bob and AJ. It started a year before that. Almost not, well, not quite a year. They started like November two thousand four. Mm. Mm. But uh, you know, things were starting to get rolling. Um, there were some streaming news things that I had been listening to for some time, and uh, one of them was uh, Ken Wachowski with Tech Talk, and he okay. goes back a long ways. And it was actually that show that alerted alerted me to podcasting. Said, "Hey, so and so is doing this, and so and so is doing that." And uh, and Ken Rutowski was really impressed with Father Roderick's coverage mm -hmm. of the changing of the popes and what was going on. He just happened to be at the Vatican when everything was going down, and he started doing live podcasts and putting them out with excellent audio quality. Well, so I started listening to that, and then I started listening to uh, other shows, and eventually the Daily Source Code. I know that's not the most popular word out there. Well, it was uh, important back then. It was, time, but it it, it it was the Daily Source Code that alerted me to uh, Bruce Murray, uh -huh. and uh, listening to Bruce, how I started listening to the rest of the Canadian podcast community. So it it. it it okay. pushed me in the right direction because I, I felt mm. more connected to uh, my friends up here in Canada as far as podcasting was concerned than I did 
with some of the podcasts going on south of the border. That's how I met uh, my friends at uh, what is now Late Night QRM, which mm-hmm. we've been recording for seven years now. Actually, tonight should be a recording night. I didn't hear from them. I think they're giving me a pass because mm. of MMPR. Okay. But I started recording um, late 2005, really got first experimental shows out in December, and I think I consider show zero, or show one, the actual real show one, was in January of 2006. So, um, and how did I get there? Uh, a good friend of mine who knew about my experimentation with real real tapes and DJ days, and actually he did DJ with me at, at, at some places, he said, you know, this podcasting thing, because I had played him Father Roderick and mm-hmm. Adam Curry and everything else I could think of, um, he was looking initially at helping me run a business up in Copper Harbor. So he and his wife were coming back and forth as we drove back and forth, and he got to listen to some of these. He goes, you really should do a podcast about your love of Copper Harbor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why you're moving up there, why you think the family will like it up there, and just the whole process. And that's what I did. I initially was doing what was called uh, the virtual youper. Still do it very rarely, but I still do that one. Mm-hmm. And that was the process of us eventually making the full-time move up to this town that we live in. This very, very isolated town that we live in. And right. we like it that way. So I talk about this town at the end of the road. Uh, very, very much in it, in some ways like Northern Exposure. We're at the, the end of the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could kind of relate it to the the fictional town that Tom Baudet wrote about. Actually, it wasn't fictional. He was talking about his own life. Um, and what surprised me about it is, I, I guess I was in there early enough that uh, there's two universities up there, one much bigger than the other. But the students, of course, being an engineering university, were very tech-savvy. And uh, we're listening to podcasts, and we're looking for things. Once once they graduated, they were looking for things that reminded them of their college town. And I started to build this following. I never intended to, you know, have lots of listeners. I was just mm. doing it for friends and family. But I started building this following all over the place, and it was because students had come, graduated, checked back into their own university, and they were checking in from all over the U.S., in Europe, in Asia. And I'm oh. like, oh, this is kind of cool. And it kind of built from there. Um, eventually had bands contacted me about playing their music, and uh, it was very interesting. It's probably a much longer episode, than, a much more longer description than you wanted. No, but not at all. It's just interesting because it, it, we, we've done the podcasting thread. We don't necessarily yeah. have to stick with that. Uh, but it is interesting getting that, uh, the whole background and what led you up to it. And so, where you are. Now, I don't know, some listeners will maybe listening to this podcast haven't really met you. Uh, so we don't really have any of your background, what you've done for a living, whether you're married, children, the whole business. So uh, okay. just a thumbnail there, maybe, of uh, your current situation, maybe. So, yep. Um, married to an incredible lady who's put up with me for 27 years. Mm-hmm. 28, including the time we were dating. Okay. Um, have two sons that are incredible human beings. Um, they're 
17 and 20, so the oldest is a junior in college now, and the youngest is going to be a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. They've been involved with the podcasting process since pretty much day one. Uh, they guested on the show several times in the, in the first couple of years. Um, I'm an electrical engineer, mostly self-employed over the years. I keep winding up working for companies along the way as I do contracts with them. And uh, I've got an 11-year history now of uh, EMS and being a paramedic. Now, the training for that, then, how did this, because you, you studied to be an electrical engineer? Yes. You were saying? And then the EMS training, this is just something else you decided to pick up as a, as a, a sideline, or how, how did you end up with a, sort of two careers? Yes, and very different careers. Yeah. But uh, I've been in electrical engineering since uh, the late 70s, as far as working full-time, and... Uh, when I get married, and my wife is a horse trainer by profession. Okay. And uh, we bought a small farm in Wisconsin, about halfway between Sheboygan and Manitowoc, for those that are in the States. Okay. And it's almost the same as halfway between Milwaukee and Green Bay, right mm -hmm. on the shores of Lake, Lake uh, Michigan there. So it was like a small farm? Small horse farm. Horse yeah. farm, okay. Um, so it, we were... Out in the country, pretty isolated, especially when we first moved there. We didn't have much in the way of neighbors. And it was isolated enough that we could see the northern lights from our bedroom window when we were laying in bed mm. when they were out. Mm. Um, that changed over the 18 years we lived there. Neighbors brought, you know, came, moved out to the country from the city, and then they put out their mercury vapor lights and everything else because they had to have light in their yards. And mm -hmm. Then it became very difficult to see the stars, mm. even out in the country. But so the podcast and everything else started in Wisconsin. Um, our boys were, when we decided to make the full-time move to uh, Copper Harbor, our boys were in third and fifth grade at okay. the time, so fairly young. You had, your wife had horses in the in the earlier location, or was just, was... Yeah, we had our own horses, plus she trained other people's horses. Okay. When I first met my wife, she was actually training a a, a large farm that was on the National Show Circuit. And she was training about a hundred horses at a time. Wow! And she actually lived in fantastic. the barn. She'd made an apartment for herself in the barn. She lived there with the horses. That's quite unusual. Yeah, well, not for her. No, that was that was her life. And she she'd made herself a pretty comfortable little apartment there. Mm. Didn't have a phone. When I went to ask her out, I had her write her a letter, and mm. it was in a different state. So I wrote her a letter and. About a week later, I got a reply saying, yes, she'd like to go out with me. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Uh, now, so how did you meet then? If, uh, we, it's about as cliche as it gets. Mm -hmm. uh, our parents were actually best friends, and they were always hoping that the two of us, they, they got to be best friends after both of us had moved out of the house and yeah. gone off with our lives. Okay. And they were hoping we'd meet, but they didn't want to introduce us and jinx it. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And... Uh, it just happened that she was in from out of state to visit her parents, and I was around for a church picnic on the 4th of July, and we literally met at a church picnic. Right. That wasn't the instant start of the dating career, but it, she certainly left an impression. And uh, 
fast forward a little down the line, I was yeah. thinking much about uh, this incredible lady I, I met at this church picnic mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. asked my mom if uh, she knew who she was. And my mom's like, oh, um, yeah, I think I might know who this is. And mm -hmm. got her address and I was able to write, her, write her that letter. I still have her reply and she still has the letter I wrote her. Anyhow, you asked. I, I got a far again, but it's it's an interesting no, story. No, 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 it's interesting. That's what that's all we want is just wherever you want to go in the story. It's, yeah. uh, there's really no framework. I, I'm not a trained interviewer, and I'm, uh, you know, I'll, I'll jump in once in a while with questions. But just like trying to get a sense of. I mean, you've told a lot already about sense. Now, so you've been making a living as a medic and as an electrical engineer, and doing other things for Carpa Harbor. You were talking about earlier today uh, when we were recording other shows about uh, looking after the uh, sort of the, uh, I guess, the infrastructure for the town, for communications. Yeah, um, I'll back up a, a little bit. So we, right. we had this farm in Wisconsin. Right. I'm an electrical engineer. Um, I've been a runner since I was in my early teens, so that's nothing new. Mm-hmm. And I'm a camper, which is how we found Copper Harbor in the first place with my, my parents. But the EMS career, that started back in the farm in Wisconsin because there was a call put out from the local townships that there was a severe shortage of first responders. Hmm. And I'd had basic first aid and EMS training long, long time before hmm. that, decades before that but had kind of left things lapse. I'd been living in cities and there were ready medical services available. But now we're out in the country and there's a shortage of first responders. And this is before we had started our family. And uh, my wife and I, my wife's name is Chris, said, you know, this is a good idea. And we both feel we've got good heads on our shoulders and maybe this is something we should do. So we both agreed back then that this would be something we'd look into. And I initially was the first one that went to get some training. Mm -hmm. um, so I initially got my first responder training. And at this time, we hadn't, although we were frequent visitors to the harbor and we were hoping to live there someday, we hadn't bought the house yet. But between the time when I first started looking at becoming a first responder um, and then when we finally had bought the house, in 2002 with the intent to live up in the harbor full-time. Uh, I continued my studies and became an EMT working with the local services, but I was at the EMT, what's called a basic level. What What's EMT? As uh, so an emergency medical technician. A technician. Okay. okay. So I became an EMT and, and it's very basic life-saving skills, knowing how to do CPR properly, yeah. knowing how to move somebody without causing spinal damage if they've had traumatic injury. Okay how to uh, properly package somebody if they've got broken bones to safely move them and get them ready for transport or get them to a hospital. Uh, I found that I really liked the work. It's something that back then I did as a volunteer, and I decided I wanted to get more training. So I went from being an EMT, and again, I thought this would be something very useful in the harbor. Mm -hmm. I went on to get what's called my specialist, which at that point is being able to start IVs, give basic medications, um, deal with diabetics, deal with basic dehydration, wow. um, doing advanced airways, 
it's it's called limited advanced life support at that mm-hmm. point. And I got that far, and we'd already reached the decision that it was time to move. So my wife had, and I had gone up to the harbor and said, okay, you know, why do you only have first responders? Why isn't there an ambulance in the county? No ambulance in the county at all. It had to come for the next county over when there was an emergency. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, medical control won't authorize the startup of an ambulance until there's a paramedic in the county. And my wife and I talked about it, and I said, well, we can fix that. I just need to go to back to college. and." So this is another level of training. That's another drop everything, wow. and uh, it's going back to college. Mm. And there are the equivalent of two- and four-year degrees for being yeah. a medic. Uh, I was able to take the equivalent of the two-year path because I already had college education to begin with. And you've had, by now you've had training and some experience, and you know you're kind of cut out for this kind of work. Yeah, you you never know until you're in the field. I I, I have gone through school with incredibly intelligent people Mm -hmm. that really want to help the world, want to do it, and find that when they're in the situations that call for a medic or an EMT, that emotionally and they're not cut out for it and there's no shame in that mm-hmm. and you won't know until you're out there in the field mm-hmm. they try to weed you out as much as possible during the the classes mm-hmm. you're 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 doing internships you're out there working with the fire departments you're in the er's you, you're you're in the field but again you don't know until you're out there and it's all on your shoulders mm-hmm. and you've got to handle the situation so we put off moving to the harbor full-time um so that I could go back to college full-time and get my paramedic license, get my, okay. my national certification. So I did that at 48. So, yes, that was well, drop everything and go back to school. And I really, really enjoyed it. I like the, more, the deeper I got into it, if I had been younger, um, I no, I don't think I know. I would have gone on to medical school. I liked it that much. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, where we live, we don't need more doctors. We need more medics. Mm-hmm. We need somebody in the field. And the difference between an EMT and a paramedic um, is I'm trained in cardiology. I can read a 12 lead. I'm uh, legally authorized to write prescriptions for my patient on the scene. So if I can't get a hold of a doctor, and many times yeah. I can't where I'm at, I have to diagnose what the problem is with the heart. And there isn't just one. You, there's all kinds of things when somebody has cardiac issues. And giving the wrong medication or taking the wrong procedure can hurt more I, than help. I can't even imagine that kind of pressure. I, I mean, it's I, I'm always impressed when I meet somebody like yourself who can do this because I, I, I've just always been afraid of responsibility, in particular if it came to somebody else's, you know, health and... Uh, the kind of situations you're dealing with. So I, I commend you for this. I think it's, it's it's it takes a certain kind of person to be able to step up and get the training and, and not be afraid to get out there and uh, do good. Well, I'd be lying if I said I, I wasn't afraid to go out there, and especially mm-hmm. initially. Mm-hmm. I picked one of the hardest paramedic colleges to go to with one of the strict standards intentionally because mm-hmm. most services have... Two or three medics on a rig, especially in the fire departments. Yeah. 
and generally one of the three will be more comfortable with a particular field, whether it's trauma or cardiology mm -hmm. or, or um, their proficiency in pharmacology. Because these are all things you got to be certified in. Yeah. Um, the area up there is so remote, and the, few, the people available to do the job are so few that there's one medic and one EMT. So there's nobody to ask. If you can't get a hold of the ER, and a lot of times, even if you can, you don't have time to talk to a doctor. Mm -hmm. You're on mm -hmm. scene, you're dealing you're with a life-threatening situation, you've got to act. So in the beginning, especially that first year, every time that pager went off, every time the phone rang, yeah. my partner said I would literally, I'd be kind of sleeping, half dozing on the couch, waiting for the next call after completing mm -hmm. a run. And they say I would rise like six to ten inches off the couch, just mm -hmm. straight up, and then come back down. And then I'd be, you know... Before my feet even even hit the floor, I'd be heading towards the phone to talk to dispatch. But as I said, it's it's been uh, been about eleven years now. I've been in the field, and I'm never complacent about it. Mm -hmm. And I've always I've I've learned that no matter how good or how bad it is when the state police dispatch me, I don't get wound up about it because a lot of times. You get this horrible call from dispatch, and you show up, and everybody's standing around, and it's like, well, so-and-so's just not feeling well. Mm -hmm. It's nothing. On the other hand, you'll hear this, well, there might be a problem at this address, and you show up, and, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, it's an ICU incident right off the bat. Yeah. You've got the paddles out and doing a defib and running meds. And you just don't know until you get there. So there's no point in getting yourself worked up until yeah. you get on scene. And if you're on, once you're on scene, you don't want to get worked up either. You've got to keep a clear head and work through the procedures in your head. Now, I mean, we talked about this earlier uh, when I loaned you the, the book, Population 45. Mm -hmm. The other thing that complicates things for me is I live in a very small community. Yeah. And even in the two-county area, because I work for a much larger service when I'm not in my home area, um, it's a good chance I know my patient before I walk in the door. And mm -hmm. it, at times it makes it harder to detach yourself and be completely professional. You have to just really think about what you're doing and not the fact that this is your friend that you're working on. Could you mention that the author's name again and the name of the book, just because I think anybody listening to this might be interested. Oh, you're going to ask me this at the end of the day. Uh, his first name is Michael Perry. There you go. Okay. I, I'm proud of myself. I must be Good. more with it than I thought. And, and the book is called? Uh, Population 485. Yeah, I read it, and it was it was absolutely terrific. It was He's done a number of books. Michael's own copy that I returned to him, but it was, a, it was very, very moving and uh, very well written and, and takes you right into the field. And he continues to write. He's very active on Twitter. Excellent. He does a radio show, which you can pick up on PBS. But if you just look up Michael Perry on the Internet. Well, this is, this is I mean, we could spend the rest of this time just talking about yeah, sorry, your job. You, no, I, but, I, but I, I think what I want to do is, is get a, a fuller picture of you of maybe your, your sort of your philosophy of life and your outlook on life and maybe your religious views and those things too that that uh, um, I want to get to. So I'll make it easy just to start off. Do you believe in God or a God? Or? Yes, I do. Okay. Could you describe that a little bit, how, how it is? Well, I was raised in a Catholic family, Catholic upbringing. Okay. Um, I went on a rather significant soul-searching 
period of my life in my teens. It's like, you know, okay, this is how I was raised. I, I had big problems with the Catholic Church. I'm not mm-hmm. going to deny that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really felt deep inside that there is something much deeper out there. Okay. Um, I then proceeded to go out and try every other church in the area, every other faith, everything I could just go out and visit, go out and talk to people, go out and see what they felt, how they believed. And I found that uh, a lot of people that did believe, a lot of people that went to church for a social function, and a lot of things going on in churches that you, you get humans in a committee together and just all kinds of room for things to get screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, so my philosophy on that Yes, I believe in God. I believe there is definitely something out there. But it's not my place to push that on anybody else. No. And most of my best friends, they're agnostic or atheist. But if I'm going to believe in God, which I do, it doesn't... How do I put this? I want to be the best person I can be. And whether I am Christian or not Christian or Buddhist or whatever, if I want to act out my belief, to, to, to demonstrate my belief, it's by trying to be somebody that I consider moral, somebody trying to do the right thing. And now I'm probably stumbling over my words a bit. Well, no, no, that's who you want to be. You want to do. You want to be a good person. I think. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yeah. Like, like the, 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 like the EMS side of my life. I don't do it for the money. I'd be crazy mm-hmm. if I did it for the money because mm-hmm. I can't support my family doing mm-hmm. it. If, if I could, I would. But I, I tried to do things by actions and not by standing on a street corner going, you know, the end of the world is nigh. Repent, because that's that's not what I'm about. Well, forgive me for probing, and it's probably uh, not the way I should be going, but I, I'm kind of getting stuck on this, because when you say, I believe in God, I, I, I need to know more. Who is this God? And, and is this the, the, the Christian God of the, the Catholic Church? Is this a God that listens to humans? And, and who is this? What is this thing? This is the God I came to know about in the Catholic Church and more probably important through the Protestant Church when they actually teach from the New Testament Mm -hmm. and encourage reading the Bible. Um, It's the God I've come to know through all of that. But you can put whatever name, whatever face you want on it. Do I believe something... Somebody, an entity, is listening to me when I pray. Yeah, I do. Okay, that's, do I, thank you. That's what do I, I ex, do. I expect that I'm going to get a direct answer to prayer? No. Yeah. But do I feel a peace? Yes. Okay. Thank but I, I know you can just go. It's like, well, how can you believe in a God who, when all these terrible things are happening in the world? I know I can't explain that. You can get into long discussions. We could turn this into a whole series of free choice and what would God interfere with and not interfere with. And yeah, you really go all down a long rabbit hole in that. But 
Yes, I, I do believe God listens when we pray. Okay. That's helpful. And your wife the same? Yeah. And your children? Yeah. That being said, though, you're not going to see us in church every Sunday. It's not no. easy for us to make church every no. Sunday. No. Were your children raised Catholic? Did they go through the Catholic system? or? Yeah, we didn't change... Neither my wife nor myself changed beliefs after we went out. And it's like, well, you know, we didn't feel that any one church had its act together completely, so might as well stay where we were raised and do the best we yeah. could. Um, again, I'm going to just just go just a little bit further, if you don't mind. Sure. Life after death. You die. I mean, you're, you, 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 you're very much in touch with the real physical world of humans and how fragile these bags of blood are and uh, um, when we die is there anything is there a... I believe there's something but at the same time I won't know until that day comes for me as long as the long, you know, along with the rest of us you believe there's something maybe you could that's as far as you can go on that. Is it? Uh, do we meet others who have died before us? Do we meet our, our parents, our ancestors? Do we? I'd like to believe we do. You know, based on past experiences, I you know, I talked about the incident with my dad and my oldest son when he was a child. I don't know if you remember that or not. I mean, if you would, if you wouldn't mind repeating that. Sure, I don't mind repeating time. it at all. Um, when we first, we hadn't bought the house we live in yet, but we were renting it when we went up to mm -hmm. Copper Harbor, and uh, my oldest son was still preschool at that time, so he wasn't in school, and we took our vacations in in the fall. And uh, so we'd gotten up to the cabin in October, and my wife was expecting our second son the following month, so she was very, very pregnant. And we got up there, and she decided she needed to go to the store for something. So I was unloading things, and my son David was setting up at the card table with my laptop computer, setting it up to play some games. And as I'm unpacking he's things... He's young at this point. Oh, he's very young, but he's still computer savvy. Okay. He is playing... Uh, oh, I forgot what those names of those games were back then. He wasn't online, but he was just playing computer games. And he stopped. So he's about three, okay? Mm hmm And he stops and he looks at me. He goes... Mommy's mommy's grandma. I said, Yeah. And mommy's daddy is grandpa. I said, yeah. And daddy's mommy's grandma or dad. And I said, yeah. And he gets quiet and he looks at me and he goes, Who's daddy's daddy? Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, well, that was grandpa Michael. I said, grandpa Michael died a long time ago, but... He would be very proud of you. And my son gets really, really quiet, and he looks off in the distance for a while. 
kind of look at him, and he's just looking off in the distance, and he blinks his eyes, and he looks at me, and he goes, Yes, he says he is very proud of me, and he told me to tell you that he loves you very much. And I broke down and cried. Yeah. And you can put all kinds of explanations on that, and yeah. I'm not going to defy anybody else's explanation yeah. on that, yeah. but yeah. it was a very emotional moment for me. Absolutely. Um, I'm not a real big person about it. I don't go out looking at ghost stories and supernatural yeah. events and all kinds of stuff like that. But, uh, you know, that definitely caught me off guard. And I do believe that my son at that time believed he was talking to my dad. Yeah. You can put your own interpretation on it. Well, this is where I run into problems, you see, because I, the questions I asked earlier, of course, I'm defiantly a, a newfound. I, I shouldn't say an atheist. People are training me. You don't have to use that word. No. But don't believe in in a God that hears us. I don't believe in a God in, in, in this world that we have any connection with. But I have had experiences along the lines of what you talked about with your son and the communication mm. and so on when my own father died. And there is no scientific scientific explanation or a logical thing, and it's something you, you believe or you don't. It doesn't matter, if, as you say, if other people do or don't. But... It would almost be foolish just to rule out any of these possibilities of, of you know, ways of communicating and so on. Right. And, well, and, and I know you can put all kinds of explanations on it. I'm not saying that any of them are wrong, mm. other than, you know, the possibility that my dad actually talked to my son. Mm. Um, but, you know, you asked me if I believe... It, when my dad was dying of cancer... He was very, very out of it at the end. Um, but at one point, he stopped and asked my mom and and I to leave the room because his mom and dad had showed up to talk to him. Wow. And they'd been dead for some time. Wow. Again, you can ex- you, 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 you can explain that with his medical yeah. condition at the time, but my yeah. dad truly believed it. Yeah. And yeah. he certainly was much more at peace after he'd had that time. Yeah. No, it's not proof. No, it's not anything. But no, you're no, asking me, not, so do... Not, no, no, we're, I'm, yeah, I'm asking kind of to share the, the inner self. That's really what I want. It's not, right. this isn't about, you know, is there God or isn't there? I, but I, I know I, I push a little bit just to try and get a, a clarification on a person's thinking. But but it's really about what what are your insights? Like, who are you emotionally? You seem very often when, I, when, we're, when I'm in your company... You're a very quiet person. You're very, I, I have the feeling you're observing a lot. And I know sometimes you're just plain tired and you've you've been through a hell of a lot. But is that a, would you consider yourself a fairly quiet, thoughtful, are you Most of the time. Most of the time. For those that know me well, I get pushed hard enough. Um, I, I, I have a safety valve blow-off release that eventually I'll just... I have a very low blood pressure. It's because I reach a point where my system won't take it anymore. I'll just like... And then 60 seconds later, I'm fine. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll let it out. out. And uh, I never, ever have ever done it professionally. It's always been, you know, when Mm -hmm. I finally walk away from things and things are done. And Mm -hmm. I prefer 
well, I can count it on my fingers since I've lived in the harbor how many times this happened. It's not very often. But, yeah, if I reach, I'll reach a point where I get frustrated. Um, well, I mean, life is hard, and you, you've been through your share of really difficult times over these years. I mean, your wife has had some trouble health-wise that you've been dealing with for quite a while. Your mother is in, a, I guess, kind of a sad state right now. Uh, and you're carrying a lot of that load, uh, you know. So there, there's stress, there's pain, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, what most of the time, I, you know, I, again, the, the paramedic work is an excellent example. I had no mm. idea how I was going to deal with it. Mm. I've been, I've, I've seen so many things that I hope most people never see in their lives. Mm. And I always wondered if it was going to be a problem, but very rarely have I ever had trouble coming home and sleeping. Yeah. Uh, I'm blessed with that huge lake next to me and an hour drive home from the station house. Mm-hmm. And there are times after a particularly bad shift uh, year-round, I don't care if it's winter or summer, although it's a little tougher in the winter if it's frozen, mm-hmm. but I'll go out and I'll sit in the lake shore and just... If it's not frozen, listen to the waves come in. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just kind of let go of things before I go home. It, it's quite amazing, isn't it, the power of the sound of the ocean or the sea? Yes, it is. The, the, the sound of the waves coming in. It, it, it just it works wonders. And I, and I think there'd be an awful lot of people much happier in their life if they had the opportunity just to hear the, the sound of the waves, that, that ceaseless sound of just... It's very healing. coming back. Yeah. It's very healing. Yeah. I, I did have one weekend. There used to be times when I first started with the service where I was working 72-hour shifts straight. Mm. And one particularly bad weekend. Um, every medic has a call from heck. And I had a weekend from heck. And that happened the first year I was a medic. And it was just before Thanksgiving. And I had trouble sleeping for weeks. I wound up going through, thankfully, my coworkers. I went through critical stress debriefing with them one on one. But I probably lost 20 pounds over two months. That's and, not good. And took myself off the service for a couple of months before really I talked it through with everybody. And it was a situation that it had occurred and done before I ever got there. It was nothing that I could have done, but I was second-guessing myself. My first year as a medic, could I have done something different? And it just mm. it was so upsetting to me that it took a while. It took a while to come back from that. But I was stronger from that. I, I, I learned to lean on my, my well, brothers and sisters in the service. We, we get stronger through the experiences we're given to deal with in life. I'm going to ask another question. It's yeah. a, it might seem a bit of a strange one. Are you a lonely person? No. No? No. Okay. Especially, especially since I met Chris. She's mm-hmm. my best friend in the world. And we, you know, before we started the family, if we were lucky, we saw each other on weekends. Because mm-hmm. she was off at horse shows around the country. Yeah. I was doing engineering, uh, but my engineering was... All over the U.S., I was in 24-hour call. Um, I was traveling through Canada at least once a month. Mm. I was 
going back and forth working with British Telecom working in England and even at the time before our wedding I was working in Helsinki right up until the time we got married so we were doing our last minute wedding preparations yeah. I was calling back from Finland but I found a soulmate in my wife okay the best friend even when we weren't able to see each other in re- before the first six seven years of our marriage the only serious time we got to spend together was when we both took vacation and went to Copper Harbor. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time we were working and I could be anywhere in the world and she'd be all over the U.S. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, that's a real... It solves a lot of life's problems of having somebody you're very, very close to, in particular if you're married to that person. I don't know if that answers the question or not, but no, I... It, no, it, it, it did. You, you, was, you were quite clear and direct. No, I'm not a lonely person, and I, I'm not even sure why I asked, but I... Sometimes I, I you know, I observe people, I look at different people, and, and I, I find it... I, I'm endlessly fascinated by the diversity in human personality and the way we react and the things that cause us to do. So you look at this crazy gathering of people we have here for this... Uh, podcaster roundtable that uh, Anthony sort of put together and there's a real mix and, and a mix between people who are inhibited uh, people who are exhibitionists people who are uh, a cross between the two but I mentioned earlier on very often I see you sort of observing a little bit quiet and I'm never I'm never quite sure what's going on inside you and yet I know you make a point of coming to these things, of coming here and of going to Bob's thing and coming here again before and connecting with this group. So there's something, uh, obviously something good about the connection. Absolutely. For you. I mean, we're all very different people, but we've mm-hmm. also got a lot in common. Mm-hmm. I, well, I think the very basic personality that makes us podcasters helps us talk to interact. Uh, what What is it we have in common, would you say? This ability to express ourselves. Mm. Or this need to express ourselves, maybe, in some cases. But. Can be, too. Mm. And most of us are pretty good listeners. Can't say always, but mm. most of us are pretty good listeners. Mm. I've certainly made at least as close of friends in the podcasting world as I have and neighbors, and in many cases, more. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have really, really good friends in the harbor. It, it's a town of 85 people. Yeah. It's like one big family. But they're living there. Right. Whereas this group is sort of self-selected and, and chosen. You know, we've created ourselves as a group and uh, not bound by geography or anything else. It's just... Yeah. We Although the harbor's very much that way too, we've all gone to the end of the road for a reason. True, we've true, all kind of we've got that in common. It's a very diverse group, but they're also a very creative group. And I've mentioned this before in MMPR and, and gatherings is that they're extremely supportive of me mm-hmm. coming to the podcasting roundtables and and the pod camps because they know that's. That's me. They're, they're, from yeah. day one, they were used to me walking around with a Sony mini disc and a microphone hanging off my collar at all mm. times. And they knew most of the time I was recording and putting stuff together. 
I, I like the idea that these people in this town, the Copper Harbor, know that you have a connection to people up here in Canada that you you enjoy connecting with and, and feel a part of and are a part of, and uh, that they understand that too. That's kind of neat. And there, there's a few of us in that island or the peninsula that podcast. And there's a few musicians that were pod-safe musicians that we all kind of found each other by accident over time. We'd all heard each other, but we never yeah. it never occurred to us that we were all in the same geographical area. Yeah. Now, are there any questions I should have asked but didn't that would help listeners get a better sense of you know, who who is this guy? This Mike. Pronounce your your last name if you don't mind. I, I always I call you Musley, and it's not. It's yeah, like Musial. Musial, like Musial, like the baseball player yeah. Stan Musial, but not oh, not related. Musial, yeah. Musial, and it's 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 a shortened version, Americanized version of our Polish family name, which is Michelski. Okay. So my birth certificate says Michelski. Oh. My passport says Musial. It has been changed by the State Department. Um, well, as you can tell, I wander. I have many interests. You do. Um, you 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 seem. I mean, I, I'm the. You, I think our listeners wouldn't know it from the way I've thrown questions at you, but I have a great deal of respect for you, and that's why I wanted to do this show because I think you are. You've accomplished an awful lot. You do an awful lot. You're clearly a very bright and very dedicated person. Who's who's. In in some ways, to me. You represent sort of almost the the Daniel Boone of America, the kind of guy who could handle himself in a variety of situations, the kind of person who made America strong, and and that the America we like to remember of the old days of of that that uh, survived on, on self reliance and and a certain degree of independence and and strength and practical know how, and I think you represent a whole lot of those things, and I. I find that quite wonderful, and I think we are very lucky to have somebody like yourself in our group here. Well, thanks again. It's a, I don't know if I can live up to that. I've learned well, a lot, especially... I've, I've, wanted to, I've wanted to live in the harbor since I was a teenager. And as I said, it was, I've been a techie guy. Mm-hmm. I did at least sort of keep myself in shape before we moved to the harbor. But I've learned an awful lot about myself since we moved up there. You know, 15 years ago, somebody told me that I'd be comfortable heading off in a blizzard 10 kilometers away from everything, going up a mountain mm. to go fix a radio link that supplies the sheriff's department and county link, you know, county seat, and that I'd mm. be doing it solo with no support. Mm. I would tell them they were nuts. And I'm, you, you talk about, you know, I'm out there by myself and I'm very comfortable with that. I I've learned to know what I can and can't trust in my abilities and whether it's digging a hole in the middle of winter in the snow to get out of the storm because I might have to be up there for 6 to 10 hours or you know the woods around me you've got bears and wolves coyotes I've run into cougars on numerous occasions and uh doesn't bother me anymore, and I don't carry a gun. I'm, not all Americans own guns, mm-hmm. and I would Thank think would, I think it would be that. very, very uh, hypocritical of me as a paramedic 
to carry a gun. It just doesn't. It, I live in a very, and that's a whole other subject, but I live in an area where gun ownership is very, very common. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I will say, compared to other parts of the country, it's extremely responsible. Yeah. You don't hear of incidents. I'm glad you raised that point. But also, I, I think it, it sounds in a way like you're saying your, your move to Copper Harbor actually made you into a, a stronger person, maybe a, a new person or much brought stronger. out more in you. And I, that's quite a wonderful story. I'm in much better shape. I've learned, I've learned I can do things that I never dreamed I could do, either physically or just self-confidence. Whether it's being out in the field as a medic by myself or striking out in the middle of a blizzard to take care of something. And and sometimes striking out in the middle of the blizzard, more than often than not, is not to take care of something. We go out to rescue somebody. Mm-hmm. And we're out there rescuing somebody when the plows have been taken off the road. When all other services shut down, you still have to go out and do your job. Again, I wandered all over the place on you. Sorry. No, no, no. Stop. Uh, don't, don't, don't. You, you haven't at all. You're, you're giving good answers, and this is exactly what I wanted. I mean, I don't have to keep feeding you. You're, 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 you're taking it to interesting places, and I'm glad of it. But I'm, I do like that connection. That, that you are. That, and I guess it's what I was alluding to a little earlier. But in some ways, the country is shaping you too. In this place, this particular part of your country, in this land, and. The country and the and community, the geography, yes. the everything else, yeah, the community. Well, that's quite wonderful. And the fact that it was you weren't just sort of dumped there by somebody. This is your choice to go to this place and as and, a family and make a life as a family and and make this your home. I think that's terrific too. It was it was a big step for my kids, and we talked to them about it, but. Although we were in an isolated area, school and small communities and stuff, mm-hmm. there's one school bus in our entire county, and it starts at our driveway. <laughs> so they were on the bus shortly after 5 in the morning. So imagine wow. getting elementary school kids up that early and getting them ready. Really? And as we talked earlier today, the boys are very, very different. Mm-hmm. One of them gets up much easier than the other in the mm-hmm. morning. And, I know uh, that story. Yeah. So they had very, very long days, especially in the beginning. They got used to it. They got, they learned to like it. But they didn't like it in the beginning. No, but I'm sure they wouldn't have it any other way now, looking back at uh, at their life. No, they both like it. I don't know if my oldest son will stick around. I think he'll move off to another part of the country when he graduates from college. It would almost be surprising if he didn't, right? You know, but I mean, people do, especially in a smaller town like that. My youngest son wants to become a conservation officer, and I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't stick somewhere around the area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I see we have uh, visitors coming back. Do yeah. you think we've covered enough ground? I think we have. I really appreciate this time to talk to you. Well, I, I really thank you very much. I'm sure we could have done a lot more and gone a lot further. but uh, Let's do a part two when you come to the harbor. Well, I would love to. You know, it's sort of the seed is there, and I think about it, but uh, we'll uh, bring this to a close. So, thank you, Michael. Can I call you Ken, or do I call you Scarborough? Ken is fine. Ken, for this show, it's Ken. All right. Thanks, Ken. Let's shake paws. Thank you, sir. Excellent. (laughs) 
Abba do ba, 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 abba do